Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, just thank you for this time. Lord, just thank you for this time to recenter our lives on you. Lord, this time to come and, and hear what you have to say, Lord, to dive into your word and, Lord, learn more about you. Lord, thank you for this time to come, Lord, before you. Lord, confessing that we need you. Lord, confessing our praise to you, Lord, that we love you. And, Lord, in every aspect of our lives, Lord, we need you. Lord, as we have no faith in our flesh, but instead we rejoice in you and your spirit. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. Thank you, Brian. That means a lot. And as Brian mentioned before, I'll mention it again just in case you missed it. Uh, Brian actually is helping lead uh, our junior high group upstairs on Sunday mornings, which we're extremely grateful for. He's, he started doing that relatively recently, but he's already shown himself to be faithful, and so we're just grateful that he's around and with us. So thank you, and thank you for tonight, for just bringing your talents, but more importantly, uh, just bringing your heart to this place. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. <clears throat> uh, so... Um, Jeff is out of town, which is why you're looking at me right now. Uh, he went to Peru with, with his daughter, Barbara. They're going to be coming back. Uh, I believe they start traveling on Thursday, and we'll see them again on Friday. So be praying that they have uh, just travel mercies and that they make it back safely and that they're healthy, if you would. And um, then Jeff will continue in the book of Matthew on Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. It's been an amazing study to go through Matthew We've been in it for a while, but I think it's just going to finish strong, and, and it's just been um, a powerful, powerful time for our church. So Sunday morning, Jeff will be back in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, so you're going to want to be here for that, 8, 9, 30, and 11. Um, and then for tonight, just for announcements in general, we're just going to point out the fact that there is an e-bulletin. If you're on the webpage right now, calvarychapelgreeley.org, then maybe after this is done, you can just do a few clicks over to the events page or the e-bulletin. And you'll be able to find all the things that are going on here at Calvary Greeley and or sign up for them and um, all of that. So that's it for announcements. <clears throat> we do have a study tonight. Tonight's study is called Battle Scars. For those that don't know, uh, Pastor Luke, every August, right before the kids go back to school, he rounds up as many high schoolers as he can and then he assembles a small army of volunteers, and we all drive up together to the Rocky Mountain, uh, the YMCA of the Rockies in Estes Park. And we have a three-day retreat for the youth there. This last fall, this, uh, the retreat 2021, the theme of that retreat was battle. All of the analogies that are in the Bible, all of the metaphors that are in the Bible for the fighting the good fight, how we fight uh, from victory and not for victory, um, just many, many great studies that we had on that trip. And, um, but but the, 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 the section that Luke assigned to me was battle scars, the wounds that we can feel uh, on our hearts as we go through this life, as we pursue Christ and pursue living for him. So tonight's teaching is that teaching. You'll get a window tonight into what happens on the, young, the, the youth retreats here tonight um, of course, it's been adapted for adults, and, and we kind of left out uh, references to high school and things like that, but um, tonight you'll get a window into the youth retreat, because I think this is an important topic. I think that there are people that this will apply to, um, and I, I just, this is what God kept on my heart as I searched for what to teach tonight. He kept bringing me back to do this again, do this again for your church, so that's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight's topic 
is battle scars. I personally have seen these wounds inflicted on your heart from battle in the lives of two men in particular. One is my grandfather on my mother's side, who we called Papa. And for, all the, for decades and decades, we would sit at this long table with our entire, what, felt, what feels like a large family of 15 cousins and six uh, aunts and uncles, and we would sit around this table, and Papa would inevitably tell a war story. And then we would hear some of the same stories, but we would listen intently. They were uh, fascinating. Uh, they were interesting. He was a good storyteller. And we enjoyed listening. But every, the one that sticks out in my mind all the time, the one that I can't seem to ever forget, is um, he would say, after telling a story or something, he would say, the hardest thing I ever had to do, the hardest command I ever had to give, was just one word. And then he would pause, and you could hear forks clinking, or we like to say in this moment you could hear a pin drop because we were listening, we were hanging. Even if we had heard the story and we knew what the word was, And he would say, this one word was this one command I had to give, and it was the hardest thing. And he would say the word, fire. And he knew that if those four letters left his mouth, if that word was given, that that lead would fly, and shells would leave ships, and potentially men would lose their life. And he carried that weight with him for the rest of his life, having to give that command or having given that command, even if if he, he, he knew why he did it and how he did it. And then another man that I think I've seen emotional scars on your heart from war is my grandfather on my dad's side, who I believe was a, a medic. Um, and, I, and, and so I have just a few memories of this man because when my father was very young, he left and he went and he never came back. And so I barely knew the man. I met him one time because my father drove me to him. And um, the best memory I have of that trip, meeting him, was us all looking at a slideshow. And I'm not talking about PowerPoint slides. I'm talking about the machine that's like clink, 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 clink. You know, it's, it's being projected on the wall, these old school slides from 1970 of him in the war and artillery units and medical units and just watching that slideshow. And that tells me and told me that this man never left the war behind. He talked about the war even in those trips uh, decades later. So some battles my grandfathers chose to be a part of as they were part of the offensive unit going to fight. Some battles they had thrust upon them as they had been attacked by the enemy. Either way, years later after the dust of war settled, sitting at their dinner tables with or without their families, they still carried the emotional scars of war. And here tonight, just like a soldier coming home from war, our past traumas and hurts can cause deep, deep emotional pain in our hearts that lingers for years or decades or never leaves. This this results in the emotional scars that we're going to address here tonight and that we're talking about now. They never seem to fully heal. They're just like scar tissue. Scar tissue. Scar tissue never really goes away. It always remains with us to remind us of that event, to remind us of the pain that caused that change on our body. And our heart is the same way. Our scar tissue, our spiritual scar tissue, just seems to linger, seems to stay there to remind us of what happened to cause it and the pain that never seems to go. Excuse me. I'm fighting a cold. Vera and Heather brought home a cold 
Um, all I know about this cold is that my throat kind of hurts and my nose is stuffy. Um, I do know one thing. Nobody is debating whether or not I should take a vaccine for this cold. Um, and by that, I mean it's, it's not COVID. So, and there's nobody here to infect anyways. But, uh, so excuse me if I have to clear my throat or take a sip of coffee to, to get my throat to cooperate tonight. But back to battle scars. Maybe nothing in particular has happened to you in your life. There is no dramatic, traumatic event that you can point to and a date on the calendar that you can point to and say, this is the circumstance, this is the moment. This is when things changed for me in my life. You may not be able to say that, but you feel tonight, you feel in your heart that you are fighting a battle. You are fighting the battle. And you might feel tonight like you're losing. And you might feel tonight like you are taking on wounds that have resulted in your own scars in, in, in your heart emotionally. Uh, maybe, perhaps, for the younger ones that are here especially, you may be hear, hearing this topic come about, and you feel, I have no scars at all, Travis. In fact, I have no scars. This doesn't apply to me. I'm going to go play my new Xbox because um, I just don't have to deal with this yet. So, uh, no. If that's you, if you find that you've had a great life, first of all, rejoice in that. Uh, but listen, what I'm, with what I'm about to say here tonight, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to, uh, uh, to, to be dramatic or put the fear of God in you, not that that's a bad thing. But um, I just want to warn us tonight. If that's you, consider yourself warned here tonight. I want to prepare you. Because no matter what happens in your life, if you're given enough time on the flight, if, if God allotted your days with any great length at all, you will end up with an emotional scar you will end up with pain that you have to deal with. And you might say, um, Travis, you're bumming me out. That sounds kind of sad. And, well, it would be sad, and it would be a total bummer if, if Jesus had left us to deal with these things alone. If he had left us to our own accord with no hope, uh, then it would be really, really sad. And, in fact, it is sad that that's how most or part of the world lives without Jesus, dealing with these emotional scars alone. So stick with it, even if that's you. But for most of us, we have emotional scars in our life. Perhaps a best friend has betrayed us. We've broken up with someone that we've been dating. We've had an inappropriate relationship. We've gone through a divorce. Some struggle with the fact that they've never even had a seemingly meaningful relationship. Maybe we've had an abusive parent when we were younger or a guardian. Or maybe we had an absent parent or guardian. Maybe we've been the, the target of abuse, either physical or emotional. Maybe you've been assaulted. Maybe you've just had hateful things said to you in general. Maybe this past year you have been fired or let go for reasons that, you've that are either blatantly unjustified or that you feel are unjustified, and that has left you feeling certain ways. Or maybe you've lost family members, or even yourself, you've come down with a sickness or an illness, and it has left your heart just kind of wondering and hurting. And as a result of all of these things that we can encounter that weigh on our hearts, as a result, we feel hurt, we feel betrayed, we feel unloved, we feel undesirable, we feel we are not good enough, we, have, uh, we are anxious, we, we feel ugly, we feel hated, we feel dirty, we feel ashamed, we feel resentment, we feel anger. A lot of times we just feel wrong. And many times we just feel alone. 
So this topic of emotional scars, I, I consider it to be an immense topic. I consider it to be a, a very deep and heavy topic. I think that we could, go, we could go to biblical counseling or just therapy for our entire life and still be trying to allow the Lord or, or trying to find a way to heal these wounds in our hearts. So to say that we're going to be able to tackle the whole subject in one 30-minute session is just not practical. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two lies, two lies that the enemy can tell us, that our wounds and our hearts can tell to us, that we tend to believe, we tend to fall victim to. And, we're going to, and, and by doing that, by addressing these lies, we're going to take our two defensive stances tonight, which is part of battle, right? You have a defense, and then afterwards we'll discuss two offenses, two offensive actions we can take and will take and should take. So with all of that being said, let's pray tonight that the Lord uh, would bless tonight. Uh, Lord Jesus, our hearts are uh, complex, uh, deep, and emotional things. But you have told us that you understand our heart. You see into the depths of us. And Lord, you redeem our hearts. You take out a heart of stone, you put in a heart of flesh. You are the great physician that we'll be looking to here tonight. So, Lord Jesus, we hope and pray that it is your Holy Spirit that's guiding both my words and our wounded, perhaps wounded hearts here tonight. Lord, receive glory and honor once again, we just pray. And we just thank you for this opportunity to discuss your word. In all of this, we pray for your name and in your name. Amen. So the first lie that I want to address, that your wounds, that you feel, the battle scars on your heart can tell you, is that the battle equals broken. Oh, nope, sorry. That's, got ahead of myself, sorry. This is true, I'm not. <laughs> first lie we're going to address is the lie that your scar is who you are. If you're a note taker, then this is what I want you to write down, this exactly. Your scar equals sign slash through it, you are. And you can write it really big, perhaps, on your little notepad if you're a note taker. And to put that into a sentence, what we're saying is your scar is not who you are. If you've undergone physical abuse, you might find yourself falling victim to or listening to the words, whether they're from your own insecurity that's brought on by the action or the enemy bringing it to you. If you've undergone physical abuse, you might find yourself listening to these words. You might say, you might say, no one is going to want me. God doesn't want me. Or God doesn't love me. If you've undergone emotional or verbal abuse, you might find yourself believing the words, I'm so stupid. I must be dumb. Surely I'm ugly. No one wants me. And God doesn't love me. If you are one who is living out the consequences of mistakes that you've made in your life, as we have been forgiven of the eternal consequences, we still find ourselves living out the earthly consequences as 
David did in his life so many times. Though God forgave him, he still was punished. He still had problems. If you are living out or living under the pressure of your own mistakes, you might hear these words. Look at what I've done. I'm such a screw-up. You're a failure. You'll never get it right. No one loves a person like you. God doesn't love a person like you. Many carry the weight of something they've done or the weight of something that they have had done to them. But listen to me here tonight, church. Perhaps you know this. Perhaps you know this and just need to be reminded. Or perhaps you need to hear this for the very first time. Let me tell you. Your hurts, your pain, your insecurities, your past mistakes, your past situations, they do not define who you are. Only God has the authority to define who you are. I'll say it again. Only God has the authority to define who you are. I do not define who you are. Social media does not define who you are. Your parents don't define who you are. Your pastor doesn't define who you are. Even you don't define who you are. And praise God, your past doesn't define who you are. The good news, the great news, we don't even have to look far or search wide to find out who we really are. We have already been identified. Our identity has already been spelled out for us in God's word. So what does God's word have to say about who we are? <coughs> Excuse me. Tonight I want to I do a little, little practice here, so stay with me. I want to read this article that came from uh, the Desiring God website that I found. I want to read it. It's a little lengthy, so stay with me. And as I'm reading this article, I want to picture you. We are in the trenches. We are dug down in the trenches. We're leaning over a foxhole, and we have our rifle ready with us. Uh, there are many like it, but this one's ours, okay? And ladies, it's 2021, so you're a soldier too. You're right there in the, in the muck with us, all right? And, and as you're sitting there, as I'm reading this and you're sitting there, you are prepared. Your mind is ready that any minute, any second, the enemy is going to storm over that hill. And, and you just know that the odds are not in your favor, that this is the one that's going to overtake you. This is the one that's truly going to take you down. You've already suffered these wounds. You just... You can't make it. And this dread is coming over you as it would a soldier in that situation. One, a, a, dread, a, a, a dread, a hopelessness perhaps that I can only really imagine as I've never been a soldier in a trench with a rifle in the enemy where I can see the whites of his eyes or anything like that. So imagine with me, do your best to feel that moment. Now imagine... As you're there, preparing for the worst, preparing for the end, preparing to perhaps pull the trigger a few times, but you know that'll probably be it. As that's on your mind and on your heart, as you're preparing for that, now imagine, out of nowhere, you feel a tap on your shoulder, and you turn around to see, to see a soldier you've never seen before, who's whose uniform is spotless, 
as he hasn't quite been in the mud yet. He's fresh, he's ready, and he's capable. Not only is he there, but he's not alone. And with him are myriads. Let's use that word, because that's what the Bible uses, right? Just an innumerable amount of soldiers, and the whistle is blown, and they go over the trench. And they take the fight to the enemy. And that soldier tells you, you're done, man. Lay back. We'll take it from here. So I'm going to read this article with that in our mind, with that picture on our hearts, just for a moment as we're fighting the fight of faith. Throughout this article, there are scripture references. There's far too many to write down. Don't try. Don't look them up. Just listen. And every time I come to a scripture reference, I want to imagine, I want us to imagine that's another tap on your shoulder, okay? That's another, another moment where the reinforcements have arrived. This article is by John Reinhardt. Again, it was from the Desiring God website. It's entitled, What God Thinks About You. So what does God say about who we are? The article says, I am the creator and you are the creation. I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life, Genesis 2-7. I created you in my own image, Genesis 1-27. My eyes saw your unformed substance, Psalms 139-16. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139-13. I know the number of hairs on your head, and before a word was in your tongue, or on your tongue, I knew it, Matthew 10-30, Psalm 139-4. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139-14. You are more valuable than any sparrows, Matthew 10-31. I have given you dominion over all sheep and oxen and beasts of the fields and birds of the heavens and fish of the sea, Psalm 8, 6 through 8, Genesis 1, 26 and 28. I have crowned you with glory and honor as the pinnacle and final act of the six days of creation, Psalm 8, 5, Genesis 1, 26. However, you have sinned and fallen short of my glory, Romans 3, 23. The penalty of your sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Genesis 2, 17. What you deserve is my righteous judgment, Psalms 7, 11 through 12. And yet, in my great love, I gave my unique son that all those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still hostile towards me, you were reconciled to, to me by, death, by the death of my son, Romans 5, 8 and 10. Sin doesn't have the last word. Grace does. Romans 5.20. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Romans 10.13. You, <clears throat> you who have believed have been born again. 1 Peter 1.3. I have adopted you. Ephesians 1.5. You are children of God, heirs of God. 1 John 3.2. Romans 8.16 and 17. You are no longer orphans. You belong to me. John 14.18. 1 Corinthians 6.19. And I love you as a perfect father. 1 John Three, one. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Second Corinthians five seventeen. There is now no condemnation for you. Romans eight one through two. All your sins are forgiven. First John one nine. All your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. First John one seven through nine. You have been saved by grace. Ephesians two eight. You have been justified by faith. Romans five one. You are utterly 
secure in me. Nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.39. No one is able to snatch you out of my hand, John 10.29. And I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13.5. Not only have you a new father, but also you have, been, also you have a new family of brothers and sisters, Luke 8.21. You are now part of the people of God, 1 Peter 2.9. And together, the life you now live is by faith in my son, Galatians 2.20. For your life is found in him, John 14.6, Colossians 3. 3 through 4, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1, 21. Don't live by your own power or understandings. No, live by my spirit within you, Zechariah 4, 6, Proverbs 3, 5. Remember, I have given you the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you, Romans 5, 5. The Spirit will give you into all truth, help you to obey me, and empower you to do my work, John 16, 7. I am transforming you into the image of my Son in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. When Jesus appears, it will be like him because you shall see him as he is in 1 John 3, 6 and Romans eight twenty nine, And I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, Revelations 21, 3 through 4. You will enter my rest and inherit the kingdom I prepared for you and step into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, Matthew 25, 34. Psalm 16, 11. Most of all, you will see my, my face and be with me where I am. Revelation 22, 4, John 14, 3. You are no longer darkness, but light in my son. Walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5, 8. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill, Matthew 5, 14. I have called you, 2 Peter 1, 3. I have chosen you, Revelation 17, 14. You are now a saint, a servant, a steward, and a soldier, Romans 1, 7, Acts 26, 16, 1 Peter 4, 10, 2 Timothy 2, 3. You are a witness and a worker, Acts 1, 8, Ephesians 2, 10. Through Jesus, you are victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Through Jesus, you are victorious. All of that. That, that, takes, that took the whole Bible there into, into consideration about who we are in Christ, the penalty of sin, and the redeeming power of the cross. And here's what, I, here's what it all wraps up to. The cross defines you and I. Who does God say that you are? The cross defines you and I as loved. Loved and cherished. And here's the best news. Here's the best news. Your scars don't change his mind on any of this. Your scars don't change his mind at all. Your past hurts, any physical abuse, your own mistakes, emotional abuse, betrayal, none of it has changed how he feels about you. Church, we need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to understand and live in his definition of who we are. That's our first lie that our scars can tell us. They tell us you are the things that have happened to you, but you're not. Second lie that our scars can bring to us. And you can write this down for you note takers. Again, we've got another thing for you to write here. Battle 
equal sign, slash through it, which means does not equal. The battle does not equal broken. Your battle does not mean that you are broken. Your scars that you carry do not mean that you're broken. Your emotional days that you have, the feelings that you feel, the hurt, the pain, does not mean that there's something wrong with you. Abigail Schreier, in her book, Irreversible Damage, says this. The next generation, this book was written uh, within the last couple years, so talking about this generation. The next generation is coming to see all human emotions as a sign of mental illness, something to be medicated, curb, give therapy for, or otherwise blot out entirely. When we define a normal feeling as illness, we are offering people an understanding of themselves as broken The lie that your heart starts to tell you is, if I'm feeling this much pain, if I'm feeling this uncomfortable in who I am, then something is wrong with me, and I'm clearly broken. Now, you you might hear me say all this, and and, and rightfully so. There's a red flag that pops up, and a siren that goes off in your head. You know, what are you saying, Travis? I thought we were talking about the brokenness of sin from the beginning. Let me explain what I mean by this. I'll I'll give an explanation with an analogy. I call this analogy, Heather falls off a boat. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, Heather is my wife. Uh, Once upon a time, we got to uh, go on a little vacation. We got on a ship, uh, not a ship, a boat that took us about four miles off the coast and then just told us to jump off the back next to this reef into shark-infested waters. We saw sharks much bigger than me. We saw black tips, which scared me. I, I, I just don't like the ocean. We saw an eagle ray with a wingspan wider than my own hands. He's just ginormous, just genuinely terrifying stuff, right? You, I, I, don't, I enjoyed it, but um, so we're out there at sea. So imagine hypothetically, we get out there, we're, we're still driving out there, and for some reason, Heather just falls off the boat. She's just gone, and she's in the water screaming help. Now, it doesn't matter if she jumped off the boat. It doesn't matter if someone pushed her off the boat. It doesn't matter if she tripped and it was an accident and fell overboard. Heather is still just Heather. The only thing that has changed for Heather in that moment is her situation. And that's how I want us to to imagine and understand the, the situation of sin. The situation for your life and the things that have happened to you. It's not that sin has broken us to where we can't even function anymore. Sin changes our situation. Because see, some are in the waters of sin. Sin is, is the water in this analogy. Some are in the waters of sin, having not yet given their life to Christ, and they're still saying in the waters that I don't deserve to be on the boat. In fact, I'm going to swim even further out to sea. My friends, if that's you, Jesus is saying, no. He's reaching out with his hand. He's saying, grab my hand. He says, I love you. He says, this is not what I have had planned for you. Please. The boat being salvation, the boat being what he's done on the cross, the boat being the, victor- the victory he gave us by walking out of that tomb and overcoming sin and death on our behalf, if we would just grab his hand and get back on the boat. In fact, the analogy takes it even further if you want to. He doesn't just reach out a hand. He jumps in the water for us. He takes the bites from the ferocious, definitely trying to kill us all sharks, being a little sarcastic, obviously. But he takes the bites for us. He takes 
the, the water into his lungs for us. Some are, in the boat, uh, some are on the boat, having fallen in the water of sin, as we all have, and now, having been rescued, are saying to themselves and, 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 and believing the lie that I fell in the water and I don't deserve to be rescued. So here's the deal. Sin doesn't break Heather in that moment. Uh, excuse me, the falling off the boat, the water doesn't break Heather. What has changed in Heather's life is her situation. What has changed between Heather and I is that we no longer can pursue and continue the relationship that we've enjoyed and hope to continue to pursue. Because sin breaks our relationship with God. It doesn't break us necessarily. Sin doesn't make us less valuable to God. Sin doesn't make us less valuable as a human. Sin breaks our relationship with Jesus because he is righteous and sin is not. That is why he makes us righteous, by giving us his righteousness, so that we can once again have our intended relationship. We can once again enjoy glorifying him and bring glory to him. This is why we call Jesus our Savior and not our fixer. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Christ. So once again, the battle, just having feelings, having to deal with emotions, having to even deal with the consequences of choices, does not mean that you're broken. does not mean that you need to be fixed. It means that you need to be saved. I want to say have, having feelings is normal. Working through things in your life, in other words, fighting a battle, is something every single one of us has to do at some point in our life. It doesn't mean that you're broken. The hurtful, harmful, hateful, tough, heavy things that you find yourself dealing with are going to cause a lot of emotions. Having feelings of sorrow and guilt and shame, whether they're warranted or not, are a normal thing to experience. Now, when I say normal, I don't mean normal as in you shouldn't try to do something about it. Well, Travis said that uh, having these emotions and, and having a heavy heart and basically being depressed is just something everybody does. So we're not going to deal with it. It's totally normal. That's what he said. So it's just who I am now. No, that's not what I mean by normal. <laughs> Or that there's nothing to worry about. But instead, normal, as in everyone deals with it. And everyone has to deal with it. So never think that I'm the only one feeling these things or that I shouldn't be feeling any emotions. What's important is not that we don't have feelings or emotions. What's important is how we respond to them, how we deal with them. What is the treatment plan for the emotional scars on our heart? What is the treatment plan for our emotional wounds? How do we treat our emotional scars? Many people, teachers, counselors, trusted leaders, pastors even, may tell you, perhaps without even intending to, that you are broken. Now, disclaimer, there's plenty of completely trustworthy, obviously, I think there's trustworthy pastors. There's, there's trustworthy uh, teachers that, that many of them go to our church. There's trustworthy doctors. Again, some of them go to our church. Many of them go to our church. And, and uh, we're just really grateful for them being on the front line. But... There are definitely trusted leaders that are out there inadvertently telling us that we're broken. And let me explain. Instead of trying to help us through whatever makes our heart hurt, they tell you that your heart shouldn't be hurting, and then therefore something's wrong. The approach may be, let's get rid of the pain instead of let's understand it. So what, what's wrong with that? Because getting rid of the pain sounds great, right? That's why so many people are doing it. That's why so many people are falling for this. 
What happens when we give into the lie that I'm broken? In, in other words, saying, I shouldn't be feeling pain. Let's get rid of it. We're saying, I'm, I'm broken. Something's wrong. Well, what do we do with things that are broken? First of all, we try to fix them. And one of the most popular ways to try to fix something these days is pharmaceutically. And, and first of all, another disclaimer here, if you're taking a, a, a prescription or a pill, don't go flush it down the toilet because Travis said you don't need it anymore. Pastor Travis said this is bad. No, that's not what I'm saying. I will say that what are you taking? Maybe think about it. Ask, find a doctor you can trust if you can't already trust your doctor, and then ask them, should I be taking this? Is this really good? Maybe, and then once you've asked that question, listen to what they have to say. Listen to what they have to say. So don't flush them and say, Travis said, stop taking this. What is happening, though, uh, in many, many instances, especially with our younger people, is somebody will come into an office and say, I feel weird, I feel uncomfortable, I don't feel like myself, I don't feel manly enough, I don't feel girly enough, I don't feel anything enough. What can I do? And many, many times, and more and more and more, especially with our young people, the answer is a pill, especially perhaps... Here is estrogen, here is testosterone, here is a hormone blocker altogether. And, and, and not only do these things change your body uh, irreversibly, as, as, as Abigail Schreier pointed out in her book, the book Irreversible Damage, the rest of the title of that book is Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze that's seducing our daughters. It's a very... It's a tough, heavy book to read, but there's a lot of truth, and she interviews a lot of people who have made these decisions in their life and how they feel about it. And testosterone, estrogen, especially the hormone blockers, and, and then we go into surgery, and all of this is trying to fix us. And, and one thing that they, they, they don't tell you right off the bat, that they don't emphasize perhaps enough, is that a lot of these pills just completely lead to infertility for the rest of your life. Now, imagine having the, the hardest, heaviest, emotion, most emotional day of your life. At least you feel that way. It, 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 you know, internally, you're on the corner alone. A car drives by and splashes water on you, and it's raining. And that's how you feel, at least inside. And now someone comes up and hands you a baby and says, here, this is yours now. Take care of it. And you're like, I'm not ready to do this. And that's essentially what's happening Hey, 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 um, you're having the hardest time of your life. This may maybe make it to where you don't have babies anymore. And you're, what are they going to say? Okay, that's great. I'm not ready to fit to have a baby. Uh, who's ready to fit to have a baby at 18? It's hard. It's hard enough when you're completely normal, if you will, completely stable, if you will. You're still not ready. That's what they tell you, right? And yet, that's the decision we're asking people to make right there in the hardest, what feels like the hardest and heaviest moments of their life. Hey, you're feeling hurt. You're feeling this will do this. Yeah, it'll do that, but you won't feel feelings anymore. Isn't that the goal? And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're 10 or 20 or 80. If you take estrogen or uh, testosterone in particular, you're gonna feel better. And so you take the pill and you feel better, and you say, "This is working. I was definitely broken, and now I'm fixed." But in a few years later, it wears off. A few years later, you're changed. And like the, the title of that book says, it's, it, it, sometimes it's just completely irreversible and people live in regret of where they are now because of what the decisions they made then because they got bad advice. So I've gone on a, a rabbit hole that I didn't even intend to go down, but one thing we do with things that are broken, one thing we do with ourselves when we identify as broken is we try to fix it with surgery or whatever we can find. 
But here's the deal. The problem is sin. You cannot fix a sin problem. Remember, it's a situation that you're in, one that you cannot get yourself out of. But here's the best news, that Jesus can, that Jesus already has done what it takes, and he will do what it takes. That's the best news. That's the hope that we have. That's what we cling to in the moments that we perhaps give in to this idea that we're broken. Another thing we do with things that are broken is we replace them. So let's replace it. So what do we do with ourselves? How do we replace ourselves? We try to make a new identity. We try to become someone else with the, with the methods that perhaps we've already touched on uh, surgically or pharmaceutically. Or maybe it's more subtle than that. Instead of becoming uh, this guy, we become that guy. Instead of dressing this way, we dress that way. We try new music. We try new things. We try new cities. We try new states. We try new friends. But you cannot become someone else. Remember, only God can define who you are. We have, to let, we have to let God define who we are. Another thing we do with things that are broken is we just throw them away. We throw ourselves away by isolating ourselves. I'm not going to go to, to, to parties, much less church. Or I say parties, I mean social gatherings. We're not going to those anymore. Yeah, they're watching the Super Bowl and they invited me, but I don't need friends. In fact, I don't deserve friends. I'm broken. I'm not ready to go to a party. And you don't have to go to parties. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into going to parties or being, suddenly becoming an extrovert, but be, are you aware that perhaps you're isolating yourself? Are you giving up on church? Are you giving up on Bible studies? Are you giving up on worshiping with people because you feel that you're not good enough? But, but buddy, nobody is. Nobody was. We all come in together because we need Jesus. So come on. You're not something to be thrown away. And then another way we throw ourselves away or can throw ourselves away is the ultimate throwaway where we just feel like maybe it's better if we just end it. Don't give in to the lie. We do not need to be fixed. We need to be saved. We do not need to be replaced. God created us to be who we are. We are not garbage. You are not garbage to be thrown away. You have been purchased. You are cherished. You are his treasure. The Lord has declared you to be so very, very, very valuable, completely loved, fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're listening tonight, if you're listening tonight, please, church, remember or realize who you are once again. So those are the two lies that the enemy can bring against us. He'll tell you that your past is your problem. He'll tell you that you're broken beyond repair. So not giving into these lies are our two methods of defense. But what are our two offenses that we can take here tonight? Two offenses that we can take. First, we can follow a treatment plan that the Bible has set out for us. I have um, really poor teeth right now. The staff is probably tired of me talking about it and tired of hearing me, hearing me complain about it, probably, I don't know, but um, what we did recently is we got with the oral surgeon and set out a, pay, uh, a payment plan. We set out a payment plan too, right? No, we set out a treatment plan. Uh, this is what we're going to do on this day, and as all goes well, we're going to take the next step, and we're going to go down the line until, ta-da, you have new teeth. 
So what is our treatment plan? First, first we have a treatment plan, and then secondly, we have... <coughs> oh, it's right here, sorry. Secondly, we fight. So what is our treatment plan? First step in our treatment plan is to confess. And we haven't opened our Bible yet. I'm aware of that. Usually, if you, if you don't know already, Calvary Chapel teaches verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're, we're glad to do that. We, we find joy in doing it. We find that we get the whole counsel of God word, God's Word in doing that. And perhaps up to this point, it's felt really weird. You might have been sitting there with, patiently with your Bible and haven't opened it yet. And um, I'm not necessarily you know, overjoyed that we haven't opened our Bible at all tonight, I am really overjoyed if you felt really awkward that we haven't opened our Bible tonight, because that's a good sign, right? You don't have to turn here, but you can if you want to, to James 5.16. You can just write these down as we're going to kind of go through them quickly. But first of all is confession. Found in James 5.16, that says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen, if you're responsible for the hurt in your life, if you caused it by choices or actions that you took, then confess that to someone. Find someone you can trust. Find someone who's interested in your righteousness and your healing and your relationship with the Lord. A pastor or maybe a family member or a friend. If you have no one, then go to find a church. And confess that to someone. Confess where you're at. Confess there's a wound on my heart because of what I did days ago, years ago, decades ago. And I'm still feeling it. I'm still suffering from it. I, I can't vouch for the 12-step program and, and AA meetings. Um, I can't vouch either way. Um, but I do know I, I'm pretty sure the first step is admitting you have a problem. And you can't go anywhere else until you've admitted you have a problem. That's, that's what confession is. That's the Bible's word for admit you have a problem. And it's our first step here tonight. And if you're not responsible for your hurt, if you're not responsible for the experiences that you've had to undergo, talking about abuse, talking about um, assaults, or anything like that, if you're not responsible for your experience, but you're harboring resentment, then I encourage you, confess that hate or confess that rage, confess that unforgiveness or resentment to someone. Confess that. That's the first step. And, and notice we haven't even gotten to admitting that it's wrong. We're just confessing that it's there. Like we, we're just confessing that we are experiencing resentment and hate. We're telling someone the condition of our heart. We're being vulnerable. We're, we're, we're leading to healing, though, which is what James 5.16 has told us. Confess to each other and pray with them for each other so that you may be healed. We need to admit that we have a wound in order for it to be addressed. Imagine this, going back to our, ba our battle uh, analogy, our battle uh, metaphor. Imagine there's someone coming from the front line, limping away from the front line, and you say, oh my goodness, you've been shot. Oh my goodness. He says, oh, that, that's nothing. I, I just got the wind knocked out of me, man. I'm fine. Kind of like on... Saving Private Ryan, if you remember that, that scene. I just got the wind knocked out of me. I'm fine. And just completely in denial that they are wounded terribly in shock or denial about what's happening. And you say, oh, my God, you're wounded. And they say, no, I'm not. I just wind knocked out of me. And you say, oh, well, um, if you're fine, we need soldiers on the front line. <laughs> and you go, oh, I ain't going back there, man. I'm wounded. <laughs> oh, wait a uh, 
You're wounded? I thought you were, I thought you were fine. I, I thought you were, wait, which is it? I just got the wind knocked out of me. I can't, I can't, I'm wounded. I can't go to the front line. Well, which is it? That's how we can live our spiritual life if we just refuse to confess. We refuse to admit that we're harboring resentment. If we refuse to admit we're harboring rage or hate or unforgiveness for the wounds that we're experiencing, whether our fault or not. First step, confession. Next step in our treatment plan is to repent. In Acts 3, 19 through 20, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Repent of your sins, turn to God. Times of refreshment will come in the presence of the Lord. Guys, if, if, wound, if, if confessing is admitting that you have been shot, then repenting is the digging out of the bullet. Sorry to be a little grotesque maybe for some. That might make you cringe like nails on a chalkboard. But repenting is the digging out of the bullet. In The Destiny of the Republic, a book um, about the, the life of President Garfield, he was shot by an assassin. And had he been shot in the year 2021, they, he probably would have been in the hospital for just a few days, maybe a week. Um, they would have found the bullet and taken it out. He would have been on some you know, stuff to keep him from getting infected, and he just would have been the president for, until he got shot again, I guess. I don't know. But instead, they couldn't find the bullet. They couldn't find where it was. They couldn't dig it out. They tried and tried to dig it out, which only caused more infections, now imagine that in the Christian life. Imagine someone trying to dig a bullet out of your life, but you refuse to tell them where it is. Now, it's not a perfect analogy. President Garfield didn't know where it was and keep that a secret, but if you know where the hurt in your heart is and someone's saying, hey, man, is there something wrong? Is there anything I can pray for? Um, is there something we can do uh, for you today? And they, they might not have a clue that you're dealing with deep, heavy, hurtful things. But if you don't tell them, yeah, there's still a bullet inside me. I have this wound on my heart that's not healing correctly because we haven't dealt with it. This is what repentance is. We have to remove that which is in our life, hate, rage, resentment, unforgiveness. We have to remove those from our life. And it's not easy. And it doesn't happen overnight for many of us. Many of us will struggle and we'll dig the bullet out every single day. Lord, forgive me today of unforgiveness. Help me to forgive. And tomorrow, tomorrow I'll need it again. Either to forgive the person who's hurt me, the circumstances I was in, or maybe we just need to forgive ourselves for the things that we've done. God has already forgiven us, but we're walking around condemning ourselves each and every day. Give me faith, Lord, to trust in your forgiveness. Give me faith, Lord, to accept your grace and not my own, or even before my own, or even without my own, but Lord, help me and give me strength to forgive myself and move on. Because we cannot move on to the rest of the treatment plan with a bullet in there. We cannot move on with the rest of our spiritual treatment plan with sin just running rampant in our life. So we confess, we admit we have a problem, we repent, we dig the bullet out, we dig that out of our life, we turn from going one way and to another. We, we, we leave behind unrighteousness 
unforgiveness. And we turn to forgiveness and righteousness. Which brings us to our next step, forgiving. Which is in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. <coughs> Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all the types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. It goes hand in hand here with repenting, as we've already kind of talked about forgiving. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. I can see all of those coming from an emotional scar, bitterness, rage, anger, the words that come out of our mouth, they come from the heart, the word tells us. Slander, the words that come out of our mouth, come from our heart, the word tells us. All types of evil behavior. Are you rude to those around you because once upon a time someone was rude to you? Do you treat your wife or your husband the way that you, were, you saw your father or mother treat their spouse? Are, are we merely imitating things or are we acting on the emotions we feel because of these scars on our heart? Instead, forgive. Instead, be kind to each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's the repenting. That's the forgiving. Remember what Christ has done for us. Remember the love that he has shown to us, and then be imitators of that. Be imitators of Christ. Last step in our treatment plan is forgetting. To forget. In Philippians 3, 13 through 14, you say, that's ridiculous. Uh, that's probably your knee-jerk reaction. Forget? How could I forget this? Well, we don't forget, that, we don't forget to the degree that we have left the lessons behind or that we no longer realize or remember what God has brought us through or brought us out of. But instead, in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, we forget in this manner. He said, uh, Paul says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So when we've confessed our sin, when we've confessed our problem, and we've repented, we've turned another way, and we've forgiven... And now we forget, not in that we've abandoned what happened or we never learned from what happened or we aren't grateful that it's no longer plaguing us, but we forget in a manner that we move on and we move forward and we continue on. That's the hardest thing for soldiers who are coming home, right? It's my understanding that they just, they just can't do normal things anymore. They can't, they can't have a family. They can't move on with the things that they fought to achieve. It's hard for them to leave the war behind and leave that battle behind to fight a, a new one on a home front, if you will, in their homes. It's hard. And it can be hard for you to leave behind a, a pain of an event in your life, to just go on and have what feels like a normal life that you don't think you deserve or that, that is weighing heavy on you. But listen, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, press on to receive the heavenly prize in which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. God's calling you to receive something far greater than anything this world has to offer. We've read time and time again the passage that says um, we suffer a little bit, but it's producing within us a faith far more precious than any silver or gold. 
So yes, forget what is behind. Press on to that the heavenly prize which we have in God through Christ Jesus, which is calling us. We confess, we repent, we forgive, and we forget. Our first offensive plan is our treatment plan. Our second offensive plan... Oops, I don't have a slide for it. That's okay. Our second offensive plan is that we fight. On June 4th, 1940, as Great Britain is preparing for what seems to be the inevitable Nazi invasion, Winston Churchill takes up a microphone and through a simple radio broadcast addresses the nation with these words. He says, If the Germans invade, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. So what can we do? We can fight. Declare with me tonight in your heart. Declare with me as we did with the youth just a few months ago. Declare with me war on anxiety and hopelessness and suicidal thoughts and shame and blame and self-abuse and resentment and anger and all of the lies about ourselves that can come from our past hurts. The enemy likes to bring up our past in order to ruin our future. I heard that this week and it stuck in my ear like a sweet molasses. That doesn't make any sense, but you get what I'm saying. I'll read it again. The enemy loves to bring up our past in order to ruin our future. Don't let him do that. Fight the lies. Let us say in our hearts tonight, say it with me, church, in your heart, if the enemy wants to come into our beaches of our life, then we will fight. If the enemy storms the fields and streets of our lives, then we will fight. If the enemy storms into our churches, our homes, our families, our relationships, then we will fight. We will fight the lies of our enemy in order for all to experience the fullness of joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Once again, your scars are not who you are. The battle does not mean that you are broken. We follow the treatment plan that God has laid out for us in his word, and we never, ever stop fighting, not for victory, but from victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just heavy things that can come up when we really dig into the depths of our heart, where we know you see and where we know you are. Lord, you want to bring those things up as painful as they can be to address, as painful as they can be to talk about. You want to bring them up to be dealt with because you have joy laid out for us. You have peace laid out for us. Lord, you have salvation laid out for us in your son, what you've done on the cross, what you've done by walking out of that tomb and leaving death and sin and all of its sting and all of its power defeated. And Lord, you call us through faith, you call us through repentance to take up that salvation, to receive it. So I pray for anyone listening. If anyone is here that has not received in faith, the grace that you give, and I pray for them now that they would do so. If that's you tonight, say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, sin has changed my circumstance in such that I no longer have this relationship with you. But Lord, you died on a cross to redeem me. 
And Lord, your word says through faith that I can now be partaker in your victory, so I want to receive that in faith. And if you said that prayer, that's the beginning. Now we go, we go on to the second step of the treatment plan to repent. Now if you said that prayer here tonight, now grab a Bible, read it, attend your church, but more importantly, repent and turn your life around for the Lord's sake, following the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life as he has said that through faith he has entered your heart and will never leave or forsake you. And for the rest of us here tonight, Lord, if, if any are feeling heavy, if any are feeling pain, if any are hoping to follow this treatment plan, if any are desiring to fight, I pray for courage, I pray for strength to dig through the pain, to dig through hardships, to dig through past circumstances, Lord, to fight even against the hardest resistance for your name's sake that in our lives you would be glorified, that in our hearts you would be lifted to the highest place. Lord Jesus, we, we just thank you for this evening and these moments together. We pray that it's been a blessing. We pray that it's caused growth. We pray that it's been glorifying to your name. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, amen. Thank you all for joining us. We hope that you've uh, been blessed. But I just once again remind you that Jeff will be back this Sunday in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. So we'd love to see you in person in 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you Sunday.